Be seated. Now, loved ones, we come to the main course, the Word of God. Let's hear His Word now together. Uh, Our Old Testament text is Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. This is the Word of the Lord. Now, this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply, multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And our New Testament text, our sermon text, is Matthew 22, 34 through 40. Matthew 22, 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Amen. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Pray with me now that he would bless it to our hearts. O Lord our God, we pray that you would take this word, your living word, your powerful word, the word of your grace, and apply it to us by the power of your Spirit, and give us life. Father, we pray that that your Spirit would shine in our hearts the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you would bring us conviction of sin, faith in Christ, renewed hearts that long to obey you, and that you'd strengthen us by this word for these ends. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What are you for? What are people for? What's our purpose? What are, you, what are you made for? If you had to sum up in a sentence what people are for, what, what you're for, what you're made for, what would, how would you fill that sentence out? Um, some people would say, well, it's easy, just be you. You're unique. 
And you are made to express that unique identity. You are made to express who you are, celebrate who you are, uh, um, and be, be yourself. Uh, that's what it means to be a human, to express yourself freely. Um, uh, that is, uh, that's something you might hear today. Other people might push back against that rather radically individualistic approach and say, no, you're made to be part of a family and to serve in a family uh, or to serve in a society or an economy. Have a part in something bigger and contribute and, 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 and do your part in that. In that. Um, some people would be Maybe just say, well, you're, 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 just, just be happy. Uh, that, that's what you're for. Just enjoy life. Um, uh, avoid pain. Find pleasure. And don't hurt other people. Uh, live your life like that. That's what you're for. Uh, all these different things people might respond to and, and say. Some of those might be better. Some of them might be worse. But not one of them is the answer that our Savior gives. Here in Matthew 22, 34 through 40. Here, brothers and sisters, Jesus tells us what we're for. What you are made for. What he made you for. What your purpose in life is. The sum of it all. He says it's to love God and then love others. First to love God and then out of that love for God to love others. That's what you're for. Your purpose is love to God and others. As a, as a combustion engine is made for the purpose of turning gasoline into propulsion, you were made to love God and love others. As, as, um, as uh, a stove exists for the purpose of cooking food, you exist for the purpose of loving God and loving others. Uh, that's what we see here in the text. And it's, it's so interesting as we, as we come to the text and as we, uh, as we see the Pharisees, again, they're, they're coming to Jesus to test him. Um, they're coming with this question about God's commandments. Um, they, we see their glaring failure to do either of those two things, love God or love others. They're, they're coming to Jesus, asking him about the, the commandments and asking him about what, what the greatest of the commandments is. But even as they come asking him those questions, there's no love for God in their hearts or love for neighbor in their hearts. Um, their, their question, they ask him, which is the greatest commandment? They're trying to trap him. And they're, they're giving not a sniper approach. Uh, they're giving the, the birdshot approach, right? They're, they're just trying to get a nice general question that will trap Jesus no matter what he says. Um, they, are, uh, they're, they're, they're always debating themselves. What's the greatest commandment? They have them numbered out, 613 commandments. And they debate which one's more important, which one's weightier, which one's lighter, uh, what's the most important one, they're trying to entangle Jesus, make him say something that will upset at least somebody so they can then go after him. Um, but see the, I want you to see the irony of, of what they're doing as they test Jesus. What are they doing as they come with these commandments, asking questions about the law? They're, 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 they're trying to use the law to glorify themselves prop themselves up, and then trap Jesus. So, so they are asking about the law, pretending to be interested in God's law, but even as they do so, their motives are utterly, utterly godless. Um, Jesus is about to tell them the law is designed to tell them how to love God and love others. But do you see what they're doing? Using the law to rebel against God? 
and bring down another. So they're using the law as a prop for themselves, and they're using the law as a weapon against others, trying to prop themselves up with the law to look righteous and try to use the law to to take down another. But Jesus points out their pride. He humbles them as he gives them his answer without hesitation to what the greatest commandment is. He says that the point is to love God. He's saying to them, you're missing the entire point. The whole point of the law and the whole point of you as a human being, which is to love God and to love your neighbor. Jesus teaches us, brothers and sisters, two things in the passage. It's very straightforward. First, he teaches us our first duty is to love God, and then we'll, we'll look at the second, to love neighbor. First, love God. Love God. How do we love God? How are we to love God? Jesus says, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He's not giving those as distinct scientific categories of a kind of an anatomy of the soul. Um, he's, they all kind of overlap, and they're, they're porous categories that are kind of like overlapping circles. Because if you look over at Mark's gospel, he tells us that we are to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength there. And if you look back at the passage Jesus is quoting in Deuteronomy, it also has it slightly differently. It says heart, soul, and strength. So Jesus isn't trying to use precise, distinct categories of of what your soul is like, but he's trying to say in three different ways pretty much the same thing. Love God with all that you are. Love God with all that you are. Love God with all that you are. Love him with all your heart. Love him with all your soul. And love him with all your mind. The, uh, the, the, as Jesus is, is, is commanding us to love God in these ways, what, what is he commanding us to do? I, I want to dig into it a little bit and unpack it um, a, a little bit. Um, what, how, how are we to love God with all of ourselves? Well, first, one thing that includes... Is our, is our emotions and our affections. Um, this is included as Jesus calls us to love God with all our heart and to love him with all our soul. Places in Scripture speak of the, the desires of the soul and the, the anguish of the soul and the rejoicing of the soul where the heart's love. So we are called to love God deeply from our emotions, with our affections. Not primarily, not first to love God as an action, but as an affection, often I hear people say love is an action, it's a verb, it, it's, um, it's something you do. But, but first, love for God must be something that you also feel deep in your own heart. Fundamentally, this is what it is. It's, it's affection, it's devotion and delight and, and desire for God and, and, and joy in God, treasuring God at the, at the core of who we are. This is what we are called to do. It is not simply enough to obey God outwardly, um, outward obedience, outward performance, but no heart in it. Um, obedience is not the same thing as love. Um, uh, if you're a parent, you know this. Your child's stomping upstairs, uh, grumbling and resentful about the chore you've given him to do. 
the heart is not in it. It's not real obedience. It's outward conformity, but no love and devotion there driving it. Um, our, our, our duty that God wants from us is, yes, the obedience, but, but underneath it, He wants a heart that loves and delights in Him. Brothers and sisters, do you see that as your duty before God? To enjoy Him and delight in Him? That is, that is what you were made for and that is what you are called by Jesus Himself to do. That is the most important thing in your life. Your primary responsibility is to be delighted in God and to love Him with all your heart and all your soul. We see this spoken of so powerfully in the psalm. Psalm 42, verse 2, for example. My soul thirsts for God. Psalm 63. Oh God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. Or Psalm 36, verse 7-9. through 9. How precious is Your steadfast love, O oh God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of Your wings. They feast on the abundance of Your house. And You give them drink from the river of Your delights. Or Psalm 34, verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. We are called, you and I are called, to love God with a hunger and a thirst and a delight in all that He is. We are to love Him first. We're to love Him most. More than any other, we see this reflected in Christ's words in Matthew ten thirty seven. He says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. We're to love him most, brothers and sisters, and not just more than others or, or more than all other things, but all our other desires and loves are to be connected and subordinate to that one. Our, our, our love is to be like a tree. And the, the whole tree is love to God. And it's got branches of love to my family and love to my neighbors and enjoyment of this hobby or that work. But it's all part of my love for God, connected to it, sourced in it. God has given all these things up to us so that we can know Him and love Him through them. This is part of what it means to love Him. This is what we're called to. A second part of what it means to love Him with all our heart, soul, and mind is, is to love Him with our thinking as well. Jesus specifically says mind here, to love God with your mind. Uh, so our, our, our love for God has to be deeply emotional and deeply intellectual. There's not an opposition, a tug of war between the rational part of you and the emotional part of you. Or to be both. We're supposed to think carefully about God, study Him and His works and His ways. God says, love me with your whole mind. Remember who I am. Think about who I am. Meditate on who I am. Chew on who I am and what I've done. Think hard about it. Study it and then worship and adore and love. This doesn't mean that you have to go to seminary or get the systematic theology book and, and, and read it and, uh, and write a paper. Um, uh, that's not a bad thing to do. But it doesn't mean you have to. Uh, but it does mean you need to be in the Word of God and studying what God says and who He is. To be a Christian is to be a disciple 
And to be a disciple is to be a student. We are all students in the school of Christ. And He calls us to love Him with all our minds. Do you love Him with your mind? Do you know Him and understand Him and His Word better than you did a year ago? Are you, are you growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ? We are called to this. Third, what Jesus is saying here is to love God with our whole life. Obedience and action flowing out of all these things. Um, this, uh, the, the, this love, Jesus says elsewhere, means keeping His commandments. So love doesn't just equal obedience, but love will always lead to obedience and actions of obedience. Jesus says in John fourteen fifteen, If you love Me, keep My commandments. Very clear, isn't He? Uh, if you love Him, you'll obey Him. If you have this heart full of, of adoration and delight in who He is, then you're going to walk in obedience to Him. And that obedience looks like following His laws, His commandments. Our larger catechism says that uh, the first four of the Ten Commandments summarize uh, for us how we are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So, no other gods before me. Uh, not making a graven image, worshiping Him the way He's been asked, to, uh, asked us to worship Him. Uh, not taking His name in vain, keeping the Sabbath. That's how we love Him and walk in love to Him. You cannot say you love Him and then go and ignore what He tells you to do. Obedience is the fruit of love. And another emphasis of Christ. So He said He's calling us to love God with all our affections and all our thinking and all our, our life and our actions. He's also calling us to undivided devotion to God in this. He's calling us to, to not waver um, between, between this desire and affection and this one, but to be wholehearted in our love for the Lord. Um, so much of the trouble that Old Testament Israel walks through is rooted right here in this. It wasn't that they were always straight out, just re open rebellion against God, but it was that it was half-hearted so much of the time. They were content to have, to have some form of, 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 of faithfulness, but not real heart devotion, not, not all heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, we see David praying for his son Solomon this. He says in First Chronicles 29.19, he says, Grant to Solomon, my, my son, a whole heart that he may uh, keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all. And then later the prophet Jeremiah he says, Yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, declares the Lord. So love him with a wholehearted devotion, brothers and sisters. All that you are, heart, soul, and mind. That is the first thing our Lord Jesus commands you to do. That's the first part of what you're made to do, to love Him. But then there's a second thing that Jesus tells us. This is our second point. Jesus says, love your neighbor. Love God. And then second, connected with it, love your neighbor. He quotes Leviticus 19.18, which he calls the second greatest commandment. And it's connected to the first. They're, they're linked together. That, that connection means a couple of very important things. Um, it means, first, that you can't love your neighbor without loving God. That if you don't start with the first, you can't go on to the second. Not, not properly. 
that real love for other people can only flow out of love for God. And this goes so much against the current of our age. I remember when I was in college uh, at a secular school, um, I would tell people that if, if they asked, I'd say, well, I'm planning to go to seminary after this and pursue ministry, be a pastor. And, and so often the reply would be, it's great that you want to help other people. Um, and it's true. Part of why I, I wanted to be a pastor and why I love being a pastor is helping other people. But, but notice what's missing from that. Their, their, their whole conception of being a, 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 what a pastor is, is man-centered, loving others. No sense of loving and serving God. No sense of, of, the, of the vertical, just, just the, 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 the horizontal. Um, seeing, seeing, uh, seeing the ministry like a humanitarian effort, like Doctors Without Borders, but for your soul. Um, uh, and, and not seeing anything about, about God, right? People would say, um, people would say God, God doesn't need your love. People need your love. God isn't suffering. People are suffering. Uh, they, they, they need your help. So just love other people. Um, why, why can't you say, well, just, just love other people without having that, that vertical dimension in place? Well, first, because God, God is more important than other people. He's the creator. He's your chief end, not other people. You've been made for him, not, not others, first. And second, you can't say that because unless you love God first, you won't have love for others. Um, until, until your heart has been transformed by God to love God, you won't love other people the way you ought to. Jesus is also saying here, though, that you can't love God and not love your neighbor. So, the first way, you can't love your neighbor unless you first love God. But he's also saying, if you love God, you will also, and must also, love your neighbor. Um, 1 John 4.20 puts it bluntly and, and wonderfully so. It says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Um, you can't say well, I just really, I, I really enjoy my quiet time. I really enjoy going to church and hearing a sermon or, 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 or singing the, the hymns, but I don't really like other people. Um, I, I don't like having to love and, and serve others. Uh, I, I enjoy my time with God. He doesn't offend me or hurt my feelings. He's patient with me. But loving others, that's not for me. But Jesus says, the second commandment, like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, one of the commentaries I was reading this week had a story in it about one of the desert fathers who did this very thing. It's kind of a, a humorous little anecdote, but this, this is someone way, way back in the early centuries of the church who goes out by himself just to have private communion with God. And he's so committed to this that he, he lives isolated in this little cell in the desert by himself, and he, he's taken a vow not to cross the threshold of that cell and, um, because he just wants to have communion with God and not bother with other people um, because they're not as important as this communion with God. And uh, there's this story that's told one day. A 10-year-old boy came to the monk's door 
because the boy's donkey had fallen down and was hurt. The boy cried out, Father Nathanael, have mercy on me and give me a hand. Nathanael heard the voice and opened the door. Standing inside, he asked him, Who are you and what do you want me to do? The boy replied, I am so-and-so's servant. I'm bringing loaves of bread for communion. Uh, I I beg you, do not neglect me, lest I be eaten by hyenas. Um, Nathaniel, the the monk here, we're told, stood there, surprised and stunned, filled with compassion. He debated within himself and said, I must fail either the commandment to love one's neighbor or my resolution not to leave my house. So how did he reply? He said, listen, boy. I believe that if you are in need, the God whom I serve will send you aid. He shut the door and went back to his business of loving God. Um, That's not how we're to love God. He calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves. First God, and then out of that, those around you. How are we then to love our neighbor? Well, Jesus says, here's the the measuring stick. Yourself. Yourself. How do you love yourself? Measure the, your, your love for your neighbor needs to measure up to your love for yourself. So how do you love yourself? With a lot of affection. You, you, you want good for yourself. You want what's best for yourself. You want good things for yourself. We're all born wired to want blessings and, and good things and, and to enjoy things and to be well off. Um, so... How should we love our neighbor? Desiring their good to the same degree we desire our own good. Desiring good for them and well-being for them and blessing for them the same way we want those things for ourselves. And also, we take action, don't we? There's affection and action. Um, We we, we take care of our needs. We, We look out for ourselves. We work for ourselves. We 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 take positive action to care for ourselves. And Jesus is saying we need to take care of others also. Not that we are responsible for them in the same way we're responsible for you know working to provide for our own families, but we need to have the same care and attention to them and, and love for them and 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 uh, with the same measure that we love ourselves. It is to want your neighbor's well-being, and to work for your neighbor's well-being. This is what we call the golden rule, isn't it? Um, not just don't do things that, people don't, that, that you wouldn't want people to do to you, but, but actively to go and serve others and do for others what you would want them to do for you. Jesus is calling us to actively love our neighbor. So, a few questions. Are you as patient with the failures of others? as you want them to be patient with your failures? Are you as open and frank and and, and honest with others as you want them to be open and honest with you? Are you as forgiving with others as you want them to be forgiving towards you? Are you interested in them, their life, their work, their family, their their, their goings-on, their joys, their sorrows? Are you interested in in, in them and the details of their lives the way you are so delighted when someone's interested in the details of your lives? Are you as attentive to their needs as you are to your own? This is the standard that Jesus is holding us to. It's for all relationships with your spouse, children, parents, siblings, neighbors, Friends, 
whether they are deserving or undeserving, whether they're Christian or non-Christian, whether they vote the way you do or they don't vote the way you do. This is what Christ is calling us to. Old, young, rich, poor, it doesn't matter. Love your neighbor, he says, as you love yourself. Not, not, not in general, not a general principle of, well, I like people, but your neighbor, that guy across the road, that person sitting next to you, that real person, love them as you love yourself. Love them not by affirming them, but by seeking their good in Jesus Christ and encouraging them to be more like him. That is a hard command, isn't it? It's a frightening command. Can Jesus really ask such a level of love for others from us? It's what he demands, brothers and sisters. It's not what our culture tells us. Our culture says, uh, love yourself first. You can't love someone else until you've loved yourself first. Um, if someone else is, is bringing you down, cut them off. They're toxic. You don't need that. You're made to love yourself first. That, that, that's the message we are hearing all the time. But God in his word says that will shrink you down to the scope of your own desires. And you, you are made not to be curved in on yourself. You are made for love. Love God and outward facing, loving others. This is what we are commanded to do. Now, if we ended there, this would be a pretty bad sermon. Um, because that would just be a great burden. Love God, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, complete devotion. Love your neighbor how much, as much as you love yourself. And brothers and sisters, um, I don't do that, and you don't do that. We, we don't do it half as well as we should. Our hearts are idle factories, pumping out other gods and other loves. Uh, we let ourselves get lazy in our love for God. We make lame excuses to get out of loving others. Um, so how do we change? A few ways to answer that. First, we need to see and know how much God has loved us. We, we're responding. The love that we give to him and the love that we give to others does not originate here. It originates with God. Um, this is embedded right in, in Christ's words in verse 37. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He's, he's quoting from Deuteronomy 6, 5, the Shema one of Israel's uh, precious creeds of the faith. Um, and, and, he, and he's quoting from Deuteronomy in particular. And the context of that book is, is the context where God is telling his people two things over and over and over. And Deuteronomy is saying, I am the God, your Lord, Yahweh, God who saved you to be my own people because I loved you. Now, therefore, live like this. And we need to see this in Jesus' command to us. As he says, love God and calls us to love our others, the first thing he does is he points us to God himself. He calls him the Lord, your God. There, there's so much in that phrase. The Lord, your God. The Lord is God's covenant name. Yahweh 
This is God's name that he uses to emphasize that he is the Savior of his people. Yes, he's always creator God, but, but he's also for his people. He is Yahweh, the Savior God, the one who has come down close to you and has saved you and has set his love on you. The point, brothers and sisters, is that the command that we're given in this text does not come down to us from on high as a bare, arbitrary duty that we are required to do. But it comes to us as the only reasonable response to being loved and saved by God in Christ. To the covenant love God has shown us. This is not like a command from the general of the army and you've never met him in your life and he's telling you to go die in the front lines. This is the command from the general who was there with you, who already saved your life by jumping in front of the bullet for you. And now he's out of that. He's saying, now you go. God comes near to us. He saves us. And out of that, we we, we love others. We love him and we love others. First, John 4.10, in this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for us. That is the only soil out of which fervent, devoted, and durable love for God and others will grow. When you know His love, when you know that He sent His Son to die for your sin, and He sent His Son to save you because of how much He loved you. So you need to know that, brothers and sisters, in order to love Him and love others. You have to know Him Know Him in His grace and know Him in His glory. The deeper you know Him, the more you will love Him. There's a wonderful line in in the third Lord of the Rings book. Um, I I love this line. It's spoken, uh, the characters are are talking about Aragorn. He's the the king who's been promised, who's coming to... uh, um, uh, coming into his own, save his people. They're talking about this king and about the effect that he has on people around him. And one character says to another... All those who come to know him, come to love him. I love that line because it rings so true, especially of our Lord Jesus Christ, of our God, of who he is. All those who come to know him, come to love him. Do you know his love for you, his grace for you? Then you can't help but love him and love others. Second thing here, as you grow in knowing his love for you, you'll be able to start loving others as you should. If you, if you know how he has loved you and how he sent Christ to humble himself to save you, then it will humble you to love others and serve others. This is the logic we see peppered all through the New Testament writings, right? Philippians 2. Um, um, what's Paul calling us to do there? He's, he's saying... Look at the humility of Christ and the love of Christ for you and go and and have that same humility and love and service towards others. Jesus himself, John 13, even as I have loved and served you, you go love and serve and wash each other's feet. Um, um, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The more we grow in knowing and understanding those things, loved ones, the more we'll grow in loving one another. And then third... And, and very importantly here, um, how do you change? How do you grow in these things? Uh, third, um, 
realize that you won't in this life arrive. Um, you will not love him enough. You will not love your neighbor enough. We, we cannot perfectly keep these commandments. So trust that God himself has sent Jesus to keep these commandments for you. That Jesus himself loved God with all his heart and soul and mind and strength. And that Jesus himself loved his neighbor as himself. But think about our Lord Jesus. His, his whole life, all his heart, all his, all, all his soul, all his mind, perfect devotion to God. Never a moment in his life where he was torn by the pull of idolatry away from loving God. Never a moment where he did not love God with all that he is and love all those around him as much as he loved himself. As we're looking at the text, um, at the end of the text here, Jesus says something very interesting. He says that all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Um, all, the, all the Bible, all the law, all the prophets, he's saying, depend on and hang from, can be categorized under love God and love others. It's very interesting because elsewhere, Jesus says that all the law and the prophets are about him. In Luke twenty four seventeen, he says the law and the prophets hang on, depend on, are fulfilled in him. He says, he says uh, Luke twenty four seventeen says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So if we put those two texts together, it tells us the Bible is about loving God and loving others, and that Jesus has fulfilled all of it for us. What he came to do, he did not come to do for himself, brothers and sisters. He came to do it for us. Jesus did not need to come down and get himself a perfect record of righteousness, of love to God and love to others. He came to do it for you. And then to suffer for your failure to do this kind of love. And to rise again from the dead to set you free so that you can learn to love even as he has loved. He's poured out his spirit, the spirit that filled him so that you can learn to love as you've been loved. So, brothers and sisters, not by your own strength, but in Him, looking to Him, resting and trusting in all that He's done for you, begin again. Your chief end, your duty. Love God. Love others. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, thank You for the love that You have shown us in our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank You for Your Word and what it calls us to. We pray that You would fill us with Your grace. Strengthen us by your Spirit to walk in obedience to your commands. Set our hearts free that we might run in the way of your commandments. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.